0: good time. If, if you're new, uh, we are exploring uh, who the church is, what the church is about uh, over the four weeks of January. Uh, we're in a series properly entitled The Church. Um, and so if you're, if you're wondering, uh, are we going to get back to Hebrews if you've been around for a little longer than just you know a few weeks or uh, if this isn't your first Sunday? Uh, yes, we're taking a break for four weeks, but we will get back into our study of the book of Hebrews when February rolls around. I began this series last week uh, with a simple question, and I want to ask it again as we dive in this morning to week two of this series. Last week, I began with the question, when you think of the church, what comes to mind? Now, that's a very broad question, right? When you think of the church, what comes to mind? How, How would you define the church? What is your perception of the church? What is the church supposed to be about Uh, We're going to get after those kinds of questions throughout the course of of this series over the next several weeks. I mentioned last week that I don't think I'm going to say anything throughout the course of this series that's novel. Um, Much of what I'm going to say this morning and in the weeks to come is stuff that you probably already know. You've probably already learned these things. We're going to talk about what makes the church the church. We're going to talk about the various pictures that the Bible uses to describe what the church is like. We're gonna talk about the God-instituted purposes and pillars for which the church exists. We're gonna talk about the different activities within the life of the church that are a means of God's grace to you and to me. None of the truths that we're gonna sit with, as I said last week, over the course of this series, are hot off the press. My goal is not to reinvent the doctrine of the church. But as I mentioned last week, I do want you to ask yourself a question over the course of this series, and not just once, but over and over again is my heart captured by these things that I readily embrace as theologically true? Is my heart captured? It's one thing to assent to various Christian uh, doctrines intellectually, um, but it's an altogether different thing to have those doctrines penetrate your heart, to capture your heart. Last week, I mentioned my goal was to awaken our hearts to the reality that you and I have an incredibly meaningful part to play in a very small chapter of a very big story of redemption that God planned before time began. That you and I were part of a real life fairy tale, an epic adventure, a rescue story for the ages, the likes of which the greatest fiction writers of all time couldn't possibly have dreamed into an existence. A story that that God determined would be written before the foundation of the world, before anything that happened in Genesis one took place, a story bigger than the cosmos, story bigger than time. And I argued that you and I exist as part of this rescue story for the ages in order that we might joyfully spend our lives for the glory of God, that that's what we were designed for from the beginning. The story that you and I find ourselves in is not ultimately about you or me. We talked about that last week. This story is ultimately about God. It's so easy to get caught up in thinking that the world revolves around us, that, that the starring role in this epic adventure is ours, that human history has been waiting for us to make our grand entrance onto the stage, and, and we're here So this must be the most critical part of the story, the most critical chapter. And nothing could be further from the truth. From the very beginning, you and I, we weren't designed to be the center. Part of what it means to be the church is to let go of the empty chase of self-exaltation, to embrace our supporting cast role None of us gets the role of the hero in this divine, redemptive, historical drama. If you've been around for any amount of time with us as a church, you know we talk about it all the time. That role, the hero role, is reserved for Jesus Christ alone. But that doesn't mean that our role in the story is meaningless Again, we talked about this last week as well, that according to the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 3, it's through the church that the diverse wisdom of God, the many colored wisdom of God is made known. As a Christian, you are a metaphorical brush that God is using to add gospel color to the canvas of human history. And the audience looking in on the creation of this work of art is not only human, but angelic, according to the Apostle Paul. Both good and fallen angels are peering in to look at the, this canvas that God is creating through you and me, the church. We, the church, put God's wisdom on display for sinless angels to marvel at. And the fallen angels are forced to look at this canvas, a canvas that appeared dark and lifeless, and watch as God makes his triumph over them known with every brushstroke of color. It's really unbelievable. You and I, as the church, we have an incredibly meaningful part to play in a very small chapter of a very big story of redemption that God planned before time began. And I said last week that if that's true, and not only if that's true, but if that truth captures our hearts, we will find ourselves freed from two things. Number one, the empty chase of self-exaltation, because this whole thing is ultimately about God's glory, not ours. And secondly, we will find ourselves freed from apathy towards Jesus and the church because we have a meaningful role to play in a rescue story for the ages. By God's grace, you and I get the honor and privilege of participating in the greatest story ever told. This morning... Here's what I want to do. I want to come come down from the visionary high altitude of last week and, and spend some time taking a look at the various pictures that the Bible uses to describe to us what the church is like. And my hope is that God would do this, that he would minimize the gap between the picture of the church that exists in our minds and the true picture of the church found in the pages of Scripture. And that what we see in the Scriptures this morning would capture our hearts, so with that being said, if you have a Bible, you can open up to Ephesians chapter five, verse 25. Uh, we're not going to be there very long. I could have just as easily said, if you have a Bible, open up to the New Testament. That's pretty much where we're going to be um, throughout the course of this morning, a crash course in the New Testament as we look at all the various pictures of the church. But Ephesians 5.25 is a foundational verse in helping us definitionally understand the church. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one underneath one of the seats in the row in front of you. You can grab one of those Bibles and open up to this morning's starting passage. If you don't own a Bible or you have a difficult translation in your possession, take that Bible as the churches give to you. Uh, let, me, let me go ahead and pray for us and we'll jump in and we'll get to work. Great and glorious God who has invited us into a rescue story for the ages with the opportunity to put brushstrokes of gospel color on the canvas of human history by your grace and for your glory. We come to you now. We need you. Our hearts are fickle. And uh, with um, frequency oftentimes comes monotony And we're going to look at truths this morning that are not novel to many of us. And so I pray that you would awaken our slumbering hearts to the beauty of of this multifaceted image that you give us in the scriptures of the church. And that as a result, we would see the fullness of who you are, Jesus, in all of your roles in these pictures. And that we would see the fullness of who the church is and can be. God, would you move in our midst by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you've been around here long enough, you've, you've probably heard me say something to the effect of the church is not a building, the church is not a service, you don't go to church, you are the church, you go to be with the church, things like that. Every Sunday morning I say, thanks for bringing the church into this building this morning. And I do that to emphasize that the church is by definition those redeemed by the blood of Jesus. That's where Ephesians 5.25 comes in, where Paul says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I wanna start with Ephesians 5.25 because it reminds us that the church, by definition, is people. The church is, by definition, those whom Christ gave himself up for, according to Ephesians 5.25. We talk about it all the time around here. Jesus lived the perfect, sinless life that we, the church, couldn't live. Jesus died the sinner's death that we, the church, deserved to die. Jesus rose from the dead, conquering our, the church's greatest enemies of Satan's sin and death. That if you declare yourself to be part of the church, what you're saying is that you've been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in the person of Jesus Christ alone. What you're saying is that you're a sinner for whom Jesus shed his blood. If you haven't been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone alone, then you are not the church by biblical definition. If you are not a self-declared sinner for whom Jesus shed his blood, you are not the church by biblical definition. It doesn't matter how many services you attend, how many programs you participate in. It doesn't matter how many service projects you devote your time to in the community. The church is a people redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, according to the Apostle Paul. But... Here's the deal. Even for those of us who embrace the definition of the church as a people, even for those of us who declare we are the church, there's still a lot of work to be done, and that's what we're after this morning. It's still incredibly easy to reduce the church to less than who she truly is, which has everything to do with where we're going to go this morning. I'll be honest with you. This might be the most simplistic sermon that I will have ever preached in the history of this church. Um, If I were to ask you to create a list of of metaphors, of word pictures that the Bible uses to describe the church, my guess would be that you could probably come up with a list very similar to the one that I'm about to give to you. But there's a reason for the simplicity. And so if you'll just indulge me for a moment, let's, let's walk through the various pictures that the Bible uses to describe the church, and then I'll explain the reason for such simplicity. Here we go. Crash course. Number one, the church is a family. Uh, Paul says 1 Timothy five verses one and two, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Second Corinthians six, eighteen, and I will be a father to you, declares the Lord, and you shall be sons and daughters to me. Uh, Matthew chapter twelve verses forty nine and fifty. And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, Jesus said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Secondly, the church is a bride. Ephesians 5, verses 31 and 32. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery, Paul says, is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. 2 Corinthians 11, verses one and two, do bear with me, Paul says, for I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Number three, the, the church uh, is described as branches on a vine. Jesus says, John fifteen five. i I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. The church is a field, the apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field he goes on to say in the same exact verse that we are also a building. The church is a building. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Number six, the church is a temple. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses four and five, Peter says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. He's talking about Jesus there. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Number seven, the church is a priesthood. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 also says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Number eight, the church is a house. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6, we studied this a couple months ago. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. The church is a pillar of truth. Paul says, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things so, uh, to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Number 10, probably most familiar, the church is a body. This is a long passage, but I'm going to read it because... It's critical to what we're talking about this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 12. Paul says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. There are other places in the New Testament where you see this picture of the church as a body. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 22 and 23. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, Jesus, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Colossians chapter 2, verse 19, and not hold, holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its, uh, through its joints and ligaments grows with the growth that is from God. And lastly, number 11, the church is a flock. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Peter says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. The church is a family, a bride, branches on a vine, a field, a building, a temple, a priesthood, a house, a pillar of truth, a body, a flock. And and, and listen, I don't pretend to think that this is an exhaustive list. You, You could probably add to this list and make it more beautiful, more comprehensive, more compelling than it already is. But, but I think it's at least a pretty good start. Now, here's the deal. If you just learned something new as we walk through that list, praise Jesus. Praise God for every newfound understanding of Scripture that He gives us by His grace. But, but my guess is that for many of you in this room, you, you probably didn't just have some sort of theological epiphany. My guess is that very few of you are thinking, could, could, you, could you go back to that Bride of Christ thing? Because I need to write that down. I've never heard that before. Um, Or could you go back and repeat that thing that you said about the church as a body? Because that's new to me. I've never been exposed to that kind of word picture as it pertains to the church. My guess would be that many of us have heard entire sermons on the church as the body of Christ. My guess would be that uh, many of us have even taken spiritual gifts tests to know what our role is within the body. Or or maybe read a blog post along the way uh, about all the ways that we're like sheep and what that means. But, But here's my question. I wonder how many of us have ever really slowed down long enough to appreciate what all of these word pictures collectively in their fullness teach us about what the church is like. And I wonder how many of us might, might be walking around a little off balance with one or two of these pictures driving how we, we view the church Uh, at large, at the absence of all the other pictures. And so I just wanna do this. This is very simple this morning. I wanna spend just a few minutes getting after what these various pictures teach us about what the church is like. And then I want us to assess how balanced our view of the church really is. What What are these various pictures meant to reveal to us? And I would submit the following to you. Seeing the church as a family is meant to increase our love, honor, and care for one another. Seeing the church as a bride is meant to compel us to strive for purity and to submit our lives to Jesus in response to his covenant love. Seeing the church as branches on a vine is meant to foster our desire for intimacy, abiding intimacy with Jesus, which leads to the bearing of good fruit in our lives. Seeing the church as a field is meant to remind us that God is always cultivating the soil of our hearts, and that's a good thing. Seeing the church as a building is meant to remind us of the folly of constructing our lives on any other foundation than Jesus Christ, as well as the need to build one another up in the gospel. Seeing the church as a temple is meant to increase our awareness of God's presence in our lives, particularly as we come together as living stones. Seeing the church as a priesthood is meant to remind us, we talked about it throughout the course of the book of Hebrews, our study, that we have access to the living God. It's also meant to remind us that he delights in our sacrifices of praise. Seeing the church as a house is meant to remind us that God is building his church and the devil of hell cannot do a thing about it. Seeing the church as a pillar of truth is meant to remind us of our responsibility to promote and protect the gospel, holding it up for a watching world so that God's kingdom might be advanced. Seeing the church as a body is meant to reveal our need for one another and foster an appreciation for the diversity of gifts that exists among us. And lastly, seeing the church as a flock is meant to remind us of our need for the green grass of God's word, our need for protection from wolves, and our need for the chief shepherd's guidance and care. The church is really beautiful as you see it in its fullness in Scripture. When you bring all these metaphors together. The the scriptures present us with a picture of the church that I would argue is far more beautiful, comprehensive, and compelling than many of us have in our minds. That, That many of us have likely reduced the church to less than who she is, as the scriptures describe the church. I dare say that many of us have probably emphasized a couple of these metaphors at the expense of the others. If you're big on the gifts of the Spirit, then you'll champion the picture of the church as a body. Um, If you're big on intimacy with Christ, you'll champion uh, the church as branches on a vine. If you're big on fighting for purity and the beauty of covenant love, you'll champion the church as a bride. Yet, You see how easy it is to, to get a little off kilter and reduce the church to less than what she truly is and can be. All of these metaphors together give us the full picture of who Jesus is as you take him into account. He's the head. He's the He's the chief shepherd. He's the vine. You see all these beautiful pictures of Jesus that we don't want to eliminate out of the picture, and we see the fullness of who we are in Christ. And so I would encourage you to, to ask yourself the question this morning, how is the picture of the church in my mind incongruent with the picture of the church in Scripture? What's missing my hope is that we would more and more embrace the fullness of, of what it means to be the church, not to become the church who, uh, that reduces who we are to just one or two of these pictures in scripture, but a people who more and more reflect the fullness of what the scriptures reveal the church to be by God's grace, that we are a family. May we grow in honor, love, and care for one another. We are the bride of Christ. May we strive for purity. May we more and more submit our lives to Jesus in response to his covenant love. We are branches on a vine. May we grow in intimacy with Christ. May we more and more bear good fruit as a result of our abiding in him. We are a field. May we both embrace and rejoice in the fact that God cares to cultivate the soil of our hearts. We are a building. May we repent of constructing our lives on foundations other than Jesus. And may we build one another up in the gospel. We are a temple. May we live in light of God's presence in our lives. May we more and more commit ourselves to assembling together as living stones. We are a priesthood. May we confidently approach God's throne of grace. May our lives be sacrifices of praise to the living God. We are a house. May we be encouraged that God is building something that the gates of hell will not prevail against, amen? We are a pillar and buttress of the truth. May we both promote and protect the gospel with all that we have within us. May we hold up the gospel before a watching world so that God's kingdom might be advanced. We are a body. May we acknowledge our need for, our dependence upon one another. May we grow in our appreciation for the diversity of gifts that exist among us. We are a flock. May we commit ourselves to feeding on the green grass of God's word. May we always be tethered to the scriptures. May we guard ourselves from wolves, from false teachers. May we live in deep dependence upon the chief shepherd's guide and care. Going back to last week, you and I as the church, we have an incredibly meaningful part to play in a very small chapter of a very big story of redemption that God planned before time began. And our incredibly important role in this story for the ages is inextricably connected to everything that we've talked about this morning. That when we live in light of the beautiful, comprehensive, compelling picture of God's redeemed in the scripture, Scriptures in its fullness, we add brushstrokes of gospel color to the canvas of human history. And so I hope that that full picture would cause us this morning to repent of reducing the church to less than who she is, to, to come to Jesus yet again and, and uh, be overwhelmed by the grace that's ours uh, in, in those moments that we get it wrong, that we get off balance, um, and, and to be compelled by this full picture of who the church is as we march out of these doors this morning. In a moment, we're going to move into a, a time of worship through the receiving of communion, uh, through song, uh, through prayer. There'll be people in the back to pray with you um, throughout the course of of the remainder uh, of our time, at least singing. I'm going to come back up in just a few minutes after we we do a little bit of of singing, uh, worshiping God through song, and come out at a time of Q&A based on some of the questions that were texted in this week about the church. But between now and that moment of Q&A, the table is open. If you're a Christian. Um, communion is for you. We take the bread and dip it in the cup, the bread representing the broken body of Jesus, the cup representing his shed blood. I just encourage you to, um, to sit with and, and meditate on all, all of, those, uh, all of the, the realities of what those pictures of the church say about who Jesus is and, and what they say about who we are, by God's grace.